Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Recorded live. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Genesis Science Fiction Radio Show, a service of the BlackScienceFictionSociety.com website. And today is the last show for a tumultuous 2016. A lot of things happened this year in entertainment, in politics, in people's lives, no telling what else. Um, and, and it has been, you know, we should have a yearly roundup show, but we don't. Last year we were supposed to have Beverly Tool here, and uh, we had some technical difficulties. But this, excuse me, last week, this week we actually have her here, and I want to welcome her. She is an illustrator, a comic book, you're, I would call it a comic book creator, correct? Oh, yeah. I think that's and an artist. Yeah, please welcome Beverly Tool to the show. And how are you tonight? I am doing all right. Uh, surviving Christmas with the family, so now I am cleaning up all the carnage. Okay, and uh, <laughs> by the way, um, let me ask you this: how how was the? I mean, how was the holiday? Did you have a bunch of people at your house? Yes, eleven. Oh, oh, geez, and for the whole night, or did some of them stay over? Most stayed over. Uh, the rest would come would leave late and come in early, so they might as well have stayed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, I, I hope it was a joyous affair and that you enjoyed it. Um, oh, yeah. You know, because uh, sometimes when you have these holidays, they tend, you know, every now and then you, you get one relative or something that goes wrong and it can be kind of miserable. Oh. Um, anyway, and you're coming to us from where now? Alabama. What part of Alabama? I'm in Birmingham. Okay. And and are you a resident or a transplant or how does that all go? Oh, born and raised here. And and you've been there the whole time or did you leave, go someplace else, come back? Uh, well, I went to school or a college out of state, but uh, uh-huh. then I came back. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. I mean, you know, I, I can't complain. I can't say anything. I, I grew up here in Chicago. I left to go to college and then hang out in, uh, where was I? Oh, I was in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. And, and for a guy who really doesn't like winter, that was one of the dumbest moves I ever pulled. Um, <laughs> no, well, let me tell you a quick story. I, I was in Houghton, and I was basically there to run a, a supper club with live entertainment. Mm-hmm. So I move in just a few days before Christmas, and I, I go down the main drag, and I notice a few things. The first thing that I noticed was, they had regular doors on the second floor of, of all of the buildings down Main Street. And that was because way back when, they didn't plow. They just laid boards across the top of the snow and would go in and out on the second floor of these, all these buildings. Oh, wow. Which freaked me out. Yeah. And I didn't know that until I, I noticed at the beginning of like this main drag going down through the business district, there was what looked to me, you know, my untrained eyes as like a totem pole. 
And one day I was eating at a restaurant and I asked a woman there, well, so what's that all about? Is that some sort of totem thing? Is it, you know, Native Americans? What is it? And she said, no. Um, and it was, it was 40 feet tall. And she said, no, 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 no. That's, that's how much linear snow we had last year. And wow. Said, Man. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so with my dumbass self, I ended up in the upper peninsula. <laughs> Um, of all places. <laughs> yeah. And, and and so growing up in, um, you know, in, in Alabama, how was how that for you? What kind of, um, you know, life did you have? Was it fairly easy? Was it difficult? Uh, were the people around you okay? And then the other thing I'm kind of curious about is when you may have, you know, thought about manifesting the talents that you've got, uh, you know, yeah, well, I mean, you know, sorry, uh, Jarvis was texting me. Um, so when, when you were growing up, I mean, how would you characterize your, your childhood? I was an extreme introvert. So uh-huh. my nose was in a book or I was drawing or trying my hand at writing in many, many Notebooks that should have been used for class. <laughs> and, well, I mean, when did you start draw, uh, writing? I mean, was that like story writing or, mm-hmm. or journaling or what? Oh, stories? And what kind of stories were you kind of drawn to at that time? Uh, my first taste into comics were superheroes. So uh-huh. that's what I that's what I did. But everybody was anthropomorphic because I was also influenced by the Disney Afternoon series. So I had Mattel Spin and DuckTales and Darkwing Duck. So everybody had a extremely anthropomorphic feel to them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, so, and then while you were doing that, were you while you're doing the stories? So uh, what was there any drawing involved at the same time? Mm-hmm. I didn't draw as far as uh, in a comic page format. Everything was, I guess. I was unconsciously creating a kind of picture book or a children's book that wasn't quite children-related. Um, I think I was a little too old for my age in middle school and elementary. So I you mean a in lot terms of, of kind of like your maturity and, and you know, or, or do you mean like your kind of like your interests were older than you were? It was a hodgepodge of both. Uh, I was raised by... A, Older people, always around older people. I was reading uh, college-level horror books, uh, fiction books, nonfiction books in sixth grade. Um, uh-huh. I finally just got that bug to read, and I took off with it uh, to the point that uh, the librarians knew my name. Uh, there would be days that I would forget my card, and they just knew I came in there, and I'm going to leave with something. I would bring <laughs> a um, – oh, it's a portable carry-on case. It used to have a, uh, it'll have the four wheels on it, uh, like a mini suitcase that uh, okay, I could yeah, go in yeah. with me and check out enough to fill it up. I'd leave and go read it all and then bring it back, dump that off, and then fill it up with something else. <laughs> and, well, I mean, you say you're, you're you know, a, a big introvert, so it sounds to me like all of your pursuits were kind of singular. Um, would that be fair to say? I guess so. I guess so. And and how about your parents? Were they supportive of, you know, the 
the kind of personality that you had and the fact that you were, you know, you would spend your time alone drawing or writing or what have you? No. <laughs> well, uh, my mom knew I was shy. Um, my dad kind of stepped out of the picture by the time I was seven or eight. But um, mom knew I was shy and would try to get me in uh, little clubs for kids to break that. And uh, in my early days, she was not supportive of my wanting to be an artist at all. So it was a fight from day one for me. Was she, like, worried that you would, you know, you would suffer later in life? Or did she just want you to have a kind of a broader perspective and, and broader interests? I mean, you know, was it like a, a you, you can't grow up to be like this because you're going to, you know, it's not going to be good for you? Or was it... There's something wrong with you, girl. You really ought to get out and do more stuff. Oh, no, no, no. Um, she was looking at it as far as, uh, I guess, the financial side because all she had ever heard was starving artists. Uh-huh. So the last thing she wanted was for me to chase a career that I was going to be struggling in all the time. Yeah. And, and okay, so you mentioned that a lot of your, your drawings or your, your stories were anthropomorphic. Mm-hmm. Non people, non people doing people stuff, mm-hmm. uh, and and kind of driven by the the cartoons that you watched. Mm-hmm. Um, tell us a little bit about when the things started turning more toward, you know, like more. your own creative universe. I'd say uh, mid middle school, especially high school, they were still. Uh, animalistic in a way and as far as their appearances, but very human at that point. Uh, I had not crossed over to generating a lot of human characters until college. Uh, uh-huh. At that point, I believe I was at a level where I noticed that, gee, not many people are putting in an effort to put out a character that looks like me. So, um, I, and I distinctly remember, I think I noticed it earlier, I have to, I take that back. When I was early high school, I made a comment that I felt like it was safer to draw anthropomorphic characters because you wouldn't come across any bigotry or racism there. And my mom didn't say anything, but she kind of gave me the side eye and then changed the subject. So Really? Yeah. So I think <laughs> I was trying to dodge, you know, what was going to happen anyway <laughs> by staying anthropomorphic, but it just over time started changing. Mhm. Mm-hmm. And and so as you got older, you know, um maybe high school what have you, later high school, um mm-hmm. what what was kind of like the inspiration for your stories? Where did where did you draw from? Or or did you just continue with the um kind of like the uh the cartoons that you had watched earlier? Uh, by high school, oh gosh, I had a wide collection of comics, and I think at that point, I started reading Gold Digger the most. Uh, it was a comic, uh, it's an ongoing comic still, uh, uh, by a black artist named Fred Perry. Uh, mm-hmm. He definitely started to change uh, as far as, I guess, where I was headed, because I was leaning more towards animation. But by that point, I was kind of 50-50. I like animation. I like comics. So high school was kind of the turning point. And then college was when I really began to see where I wanted to go and what I wanted to see out there. And I started breaking away from 
everybody being anthropomorphic to where I get an occasional few, but uh, mm-hmm. most were human in appearance. Yeah, and and so other than other than you know that particular comic. Um, what kinds of common culture things were you looking at? Were you Ooh. watching anything special on television, or did you hit up movies of a certain genre? Um, was there something else that was also feeding into your 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 creativity? Well, the movie thing uh, wasn't something I guess I could dive into too much. I, we weren't exactly uh, uh, we didn't have a lot of money. But um, okay. as far as television was concerned, I was real big on uh, shows that spoke about space uh, to uh, any of the National Geographic, where they were either speaking about people of different cultures or animals. It was Those type of shows drew my attention a lot. As mm-hmm. far as books, I think books were the bigger inspiration by that point. Um, I was finding all sorts of fantasy novels. Uh, I was still into the, big into the horror books at that point. I think those were the larger um, inspirations for me. Because I guess when I would get a book in my hand, my hands, I could clearly see what was going on, and I guess my mind would take its own spin on it. So I think those were the heavier, uh, heavy hitters as far as influence. And okay, uh, you know when I think about my, I'm probably you know at least thirty, forty years older than you are. Um, that's, that's a joke, but you know, for me, I guess maybe typical guy kind of stuff. I don't even know if it was typical because I kind of grew up in an atypical neighborhood, and um, you know, I was fortunate enough to live in probably one of the three areas in the entire country where they were so multicultural, multiracial, multi even even foreign people living there that a lot of my concerns were. You know, I had very little concern about the racial aspects of my growing up at that time, you know, up until, mm-hmm. you know, maybe late high school. And so I'm watching things on television, not necessarily because they have people who look like me, although how many Japanese girls were there in the 50s and 60s, but but the fact that they were exciting. You know, I had, um, you know, Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea and, uh, you know, uh, The Outer Limits and... Um, Twilight Zone, you know, those kinds of things probably fueled my imagination, even though I didn't come to, I didn't start writing until this, this millennium, you know, in mm-hmm. 2001. Um, when, when you decided that you were, or when you started out writing a story, if you were going to create a story, what, what was the basis for you, for you setting the scene for the story? Was it kind of um, of the genre of something that you liked externally or did you have a whole lot of imagination internally and you just started, you know, you were able to to kind of put that out there um, on your own? I think I'd say it was a mixture, but I think I had, for lack of a better word, lived in my head for so long because I hardly spoke to anybody that the imagination was just there. So for me, watching um, anything that involved travel would just, be enough for me. And then I was a big fan of um, the Michael Knight, um, um, uh, Knight Rider, uh, mm-hmm. the Hitchhiker, uh, the Tales from the Crypt. Um, mm-hmm. Star Trek was a uh, big influence. But um, anything that just involved 
traveling from place to place, multiple stories are just anything strange. <laughs> well, no, it's, I mean, it sounds like you wanted to do, you know, you wanted to be transported away from the existence that you had. Not because yeah. you're running away or anything, but because it was different, correct? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and so when you when you start doing those kinds of stories, do you did it all come from inside your head or did you did you have to, you know, do any research about alternative cultures or you know, because that's that's a pretty huge leap for someone pretty young. You know, like mm-hmm. you know, some some guys will get into space opera, you know, mm-hmm. as a as a you know, an adjunct to drawing war stuff, tanks, planes, things like that, or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. what, what, do you, what do you think was the abiding baseline influence for you to get to these stories? Was it the stuff that you read, saw, or, or whatever, or did you really have that fertile imagination? I read a lot, but I think my imagination was just that vivid. I was a very strange child. Um, I re- distinctly remember um, when I was very small, or uh, my mom had this book that was just about galaxies and space, and I would look at it for hours and envision characters traveling from one spot to another and seeing these different locations. And I guess uh, when I would turn around and I'd start reading different fictions, be they about space or not, I guess it kind of helped me as far as how would I write that scene. You know, this is how someone describes walking into a room here. Okay, let me give that a try. So it was a mixture of, okay, my imagination is going nuts, but let me also learn from how these guys are, are writing. And, and I guess I was, I'd hate to say doing it unconsciously, but it was something that I wanted to get out onto pen and paper. Right. So it was just what I did. I didn't have um, wasn't a terribly large amount of TV time, and um, I didn't have any outside people I could latch on to to say, hey, show me how. So I just let my imagination go, and I was in my own head for quite a large amount of my uh, my youth. Cool. Okay. And, and when you were going through, you know, later in elementary school and in high school, mm-hmm. did, you, did you take classes? around writing or art other than, you know, what we all have to take. You know, we all have to take, you know, the certain remedial classes or that they offer in the regular curriculum. But at that time, did you did you even get into, you know, some advanced creative writing or anything like that, or was it still mostly just in your head? We couldn't afford to, so it was in my head. Um, it was until my senior year in high school that – Warner Brothers did this satellite program. They picked different schools across the states, and a high school, a high school in Birmingham, was picked. And I sent it in a portfolio, and it was accepted. So for about two hours a day, a school day, I would uh, finish all my classes at Woodlawn, my my normal high school, and then migrate on over to the other one to learn animation. But um, before that, there was nothing else. Wow, and, and are you talking about like I'm, I'm presuming like cartoon animation, you know, animation mm-hmm. in the and oh <laughs> well, no, no. Here's here's the thing. Okay, I'm sitting here as a host, and I'm going. So, what year was that? And I want to ask that question because oh, I can tell you. Well, wait, wait, well, yeah, because it lets people know 
the tools that were available at that time. But, you know, also I'm also sensitive to the fact that, you know, people don't want to just throw the age out there. But, I mean, when you were doing animation, was it like cell-by-cell, hand-drawn animation? Or or were, were we at the point where there was there were any digital tools available for you? Well, for the record, I'm currently 37, and it was uh, 1996 to 97 when the Warner uh-huh. Brother class kicked in. Uh, it okay. was cell-by-cell hand-drawn. I had not touched a computer. My mom didn't even think computers were going to be a thing at that point. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, so I it get was, it. Yeah. Yeah. We kind of tease my mom today about because uh, she's now addicted to her iPod, iPad, and right. she's on the laptop a lot. And we're like, "Yeah, you thought this stuff wasn't going to work out, and you you took our op- opportunity to learn the computer away from us." <laughs> no, I I understand that thinking because I I still don't think that television is going to replace radio. But what the hell do I know? Um, <laughs> well, no, I mean this is what happens when you have the face for radio. You know, you just. Yeah. Anyway, okay, so now you're doing that, excuse me, how many days a week? I know you're doing it for a couple hours a day, but how many days a week did you head over there to to work on, um, you know, the the kind of, you know, the animation that you were doing? Oh, it was Monday to Friday. It was every school day. Yeah, yeah, and then... Did you get to the point where you you filmed yourselves, where you photoed yourselves, and and actually got to see the results of your the what do they call it, the fruits of your labor? Oh yeah, we still have it. <laughs> it's on VHS. <laughs> but uh, I still have a copy of all my uh, little animation tests of all drop and leaf fall, uh, showing somebody walking, a horse running. So uh, that was actually a lot of fun, and it was definitely the uh, the gateway drug into animation for me because uh, I liked, I found especially later on that I liked the steps before the animation where you're okay. developing the characters and you're creating the world and you're thinking about everything that's in there, how this works, how that moves, and everything before we start animating. I found I loved that portion, just the creation process. Sure. And and have you ever digitized that and posted it anywhere so people can kind of see, you know, your early work or, or not yet? Not yet. Uh, I cringe <laughs> when I look at it, but I do think uh, I, I should do that. I uh, show my old animation test and artwork of that particular year, which is very horrific. <laughs> but um, hey, everybody's got to start somewhere. Well, you know, here's the thing. The the reason why people listen to this show is they get they get to find out how the people I interview got to where they are today. All right, mm-hmm. everybody has a story, everybody has a journey. And I think that people who who get interested in in artists or writers or sculptors or musicians or whatever, you know, would would like to know a little bit more about them. So it's probably not something that it's pro- no, I, I take that. I don't want to do the double negative. It's probably something that people would definitely want to check out. It's like it's like artists who have been around for maybe twenty, thirty, forty years, and they decide to do like a coffee table book of their early work all the way up to the present, so that you could see mm-hmm. their evolution as an artist. So I mean, it might be of interest. I mean, uh, obviously, somebody already in the um, in the uh, 
uh, chat room says that, that that would be interesting to see. I'd love to see it. You know, like if you had it in your website, um, uh, I w- it's something that I would stop by and see because, of course, I like to see how people got to where they got. Because I, you know, I think about me as a writer. Okay, I started writing in 2001. It was the first time I ever started writing anything non-technical, you know, and so uh, I cringe to look at my first book compared to my third book. No, I do, you know, because I'm, I, I, I like to, it, it, it shows to me that I'm a work in progress. So even for my own benefit, you know, taking a look at how early I, I was earlier and how much better I am now is interesting to me, even though it makes me feel pretty queasy, you know, <laughs> when I read oh. I go, Oh, I you never should have said that. You oh, really? You thought that was a good way to say that? So so yeah. So I mean, that's always good. Now, when when you got to the end of high school, you've got mm-hmm. um, you've got some animation under your belt. Did, mm-hmm. did you still did you still continue doing your drawing as well, or did you did that kind of slack off? You know, so that you could do more of the animating, or or how how you know. Oh, no, I still continue to draw, I still continue to write, um, and then I drifted off to college where I discovered there was this thing called um, Photoshop. <laughs> yeah. So at that point, um, and, and then I obviously it was kind of discovering Photoshop and discovering a computer can actually do this. So sure. I, I had to learn how to type, I had to learn the hotkeys and then learn the terms, and it was it was a uh, interesting uphill climb, but I knew where I was coming from, and and you got to learn it. Either you got to learn it, or pay somebody to do it for you. <laughs> yeah. Now, and and were you talking in terms of drawing or also animating? Because Photoshop could do both. Animating both. it didn't do as well at the very beginning, but but for drawing, obviously, it was one of the the better packages out there. Um, mm-hmm. What what was the coolest part about Photoshop for you? Layers. When I discovered layers, oh my gosh! Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think that was the most beautiful thing. And then I made the mistake that every artist of that day and probably to this day made. I discovered the lens flare. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, that's why I have uh, that first reboot of Star Trek in my um, in my uh, video server, so that you know when I really, really am kind of desperate for some lens flares. Who is that? J.J. <laughs> Abrams? Is that who did that? Where, where he made this, the bridge of the Star Trek Enterprise look like uh, an overly lit Apple store? And, oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, I said it. So anyway, I mean, that's kind of cool. So as you're going along, let me ask you this. In, in terms of your writing of stories, did mm-hmm. you ever let other people read your stories? It took a moment, but I did, uh, let's see, I'd say it was 2008 was when I finally got the courage to start putting something online. Okay. Uh, in 2000, or, let's see, was it seven? Let's see, 2007, I, I participated in that year's NaNoWriMo. I just heard about it, and I figured, okay, challenge accepted. So I flushed out this story and decided, you know, let's, let's give it a whirl. And then my mom had some medical issues to happen. So halfway through it, I stopped. And then okay. a couple of months later, I found it again. And I'm like, you know what? 
it's, it's rough, but it's actually kind of good. By that point, I was into fanfiction.net. And so I figured, well, you want to get out there with your own comic? Let's test how people will respond to your story. So I took what I wrote, and I picked, at that time, I was big into uh, Yu-Gi-Oh, uh, the uh, anime okay. series. So they were the most, you could um, do anything with those characters. You could take away the whole game element of the series, and the characters were had such a basic structure about them that you could really turn them into anything. So sure. I took that, and I applied the story I was working on with it, and people loved it. And so I wrote several chapters of it. I think I had written about 80,000 words on it. And every time I posted, people were just on it, which was great. And Mm -hmm. from there was where, I guess, the backbone or the spine of Cathoros, that's where that came from. And and so, I mean, that's kind of cool to get that kind of positive reinforcement right out of the box. Yeah, um, it was a little unnerving, but uh, it was it was surprising because you know that was the first time I put my writing out there, and I had no formal training. It was just me kind of mimicking what I'd been reading all these years, and to get that kind of positive feedback was really uh was really nice. Mhm, mhm. Um, and and then also you know you have the internet becoming a very very accessible medium for creatives to get their work out. Yes. Um, so it, it, it's it's so much easier than, you know, I didn't think in terms of the Internet for what I did, and I had to wait, you know, six months after my books were available on Amazon before I, I had any inkling that somebody thought I wrote a good story. Um, that, I mean, to get the response, that would have been great for me because I, it would have certainly <laughs> would have taken care of a lot of anxiety. Um, yeah. and, and so... When when you get that kind of reinforcement, you said you had about 80,000 words. Did you continue mm-hmm. beyond that, or did you try something new? I mean, what, you know, that's that's a fairly powerful experience to have. Um, what what did you do with that experience? You know, what, what did it make you do? What did it kind of push you into? What did it encourage you to do? Well, that particular story, after I got so far, I realized – that if you want to keep the suspense of your comic, uh, since you're, you've now realized that this is what you're going to use for your, your web comic, you might want to stop. You know, <laughs> so I took that down and started doing uh, little other little shorts just to let people know I'm still writing. This is why I took this down, but hey, here's this. And people transitioned pretty well over to the other stories. And in the meantime, I would spend nights uh, flushing out all that I had written, from the fan fiction to what I had written in for the uh, the NaNoWriMo in 07 or 08. And just kept plugging away and watching video, how-to videos and going from there. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and so what about, uh, what about the commerce aspect of doing your work electronically um, mm-hmm. or, or making it available. Uh, did you have any considerations about, you know, the, the commercial aspects of being a writer? I am just now trying to figure that part out. Uh, so that part is still very uh, new to me as far as just writing uh, comics. Uh, I started to really poke at that in 2013. Mm-hmm. And um, ran a Kickstarter for the comic in 2014, 
and that mm-hmm. turned out to be really successful. So I am, I guess I'm a lot further along as far as the comic side of it than I am for a, uh, a novel side. Okay, and what about the, okay, you know, you've got the writing side. What about the, the artistic work, you know, when you have to draw for that? Um, I, you know, I know that you were getting into Photoshop and things like that. Mm-hmm. Did you did you get any formal training or, oh. excuse me, are you self-taught? Um, how, how did that part evolve? So this is where it gets weird. I went to the Joe Kubert School in 98 and graduated in 2000. Uh, during that time, uh, they had very old equipment for their animation department. So we were still doing cell-by-cell animation with no color. And by that point in time, uh, there were ways of scanning things in and coloring it and uh, being a little bit more up-to-date with it. So mm-hmm. I basically relearned what I learned in high school with a little claymation on the side. But the plus side was that I learned script writing and I learned lip syncing. So it wasn't all a total bust uh, as far as uh, stuff like Photoshop is concerned. We unfortunately had one class on how to color, and that was it. So I had to really? go online and download Photoshop. You know, don't do this, children. That's pirating. But uh, um, <laughs> I had to download it and hunt for tutorials and figure it out. So in all honesty, I would say I was self-taught. Mm-hmm. Wow. Uh, you know... I have to admire that. Like I said, you know, I've told everybody though I still do four fingered hands because I can't get that finger in there <laughs> to look right. So I got, you know, I don't, I don't have the drawing gene, you know. Um, okay. So now, now you're at the point where online now. Oh, the the writing that you had online did it also include illustrating? Was it like comic format or or how? What kind of format was it when you? first started putting the writing up online? Uh, it was traditional. It wasn't in a comic format. Um, okay. Just like a regular fan fiction would appear as far as uh, the written stories that I posted online. Uh, lately, I've been uh, very fascinated with uh, doing, I guess, I don't know the official term for it, but writing the stories out, but presenting occasional illustrations to guide people along with what, the, what should, they should be seeing. Like a graphic novel? Eh, not fully. Uh, that's why I'd almost but think children's books, where there's still something to read and an occasional okay. picture on the side to, I guess, spur the imagination a bit. Mm-hmm. So I have my regular comic, but I also there's, there's a horde of things that I want to do on the side, and that's one of them. And and let's let's go back just a little bit. The mm-hmm. basis for your story. Give us kind of like a synopsis of this, the, the original story that you did um, these episodes for, or the the um, that you put up online. Oh gosh! Wow. <laughs> um, the original story. You followed a uh, individual that had. It was a. Uh, you were following a courier still that okay. had a gift for never missing a delivery. And okay. it was about a particular family that uh, she ended up getting involved with. The courier was similar to how Joe is now, described as very androgynous, and people often thought that it was a man that they were dealing with. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, like I said, it was the spine of what what is here now. <laughs> and Well, I mean, again, 
you when you created this character, mm-hmm. what what was what was it about her that made her compelling enough for you to build a creative universe around her? I mean, other than the fact that she absolutely positively had to be there overnight. <laughs> that's a that's that's a joke on my part. Okay. <laughs> Um, oh gosh. Uh, as far as Joe is concerned, I wanted that female lead. It's a, it's a whole a whole bunch of things. Uh, I wanted a, a black woman to be the lead. Right. I wanted her mm-hmm. to unmistakably be a black woman, not if you squint, you can kind of think that it might be a black person. Um, right. And one of the other influences in high school, now that I think about it, was bodybuilding. I was into female bodybuilders. I thought they were so amazing to look at. So I wanted her to have that physique. So when I started posting earlier images of her online, uh, people were a little, little weirded out. You know, you got the comments about, you know, where are her boobs, where are her tits. Uh, you could just make her a little bit more feminine. You could you do a little bit, but, you know, now people seem to be pretty darn accepting of how she looks. But um, I wanted a... That just that female lead that didn't need to be saved, your classic things, uh, that sure. the point of the story is not for her to get married and have kids, uh, was just as sly and as witty as, I don't know, Indiana Jones and all the other male leads that I looked to, and strong as Rocky. I mean, I wanted that for a female character, so I just decided, you know, what the heck, just do it. Mm-hmm. And and what, when you when you started putting her together, mm-hmm. did you draw upon real people for parts of her personality? Did you create her out of whole cloth? Um, how, how, did you, how did you create your, because this character is what drives your whole story. Mm-hmm. So when, when you were constructing her in terms of personality, what kinds of attributes did you give her and did you get those attributes from other people that you have observed or, or did you already had, have kind of a well-defined personality type for her when you when you started out she's almost the embodiment of things i've always wanted to say or do but didn't have the guts to do it (laughs) so if she were an individual it would be like my other half or like my evil plan almost (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but um uh to that bold persona that to just go ahead and defend yourself. You know, all the things that I guess I've always wanted to do but didn't have the nerve over the years to do it, she kind of embodies that. So mm-hmm. in a way, I was drawing upon myself and yet more of the self that I want it to be. Okay. Then I, I had, mean, that... you know, my... Go ahead. Oh, well, I was just going to say I, I had, you know, I guess, some inspirations from uh, different movies that I've watched, but it was more of occupation or action-wise. But Persona, I would say it came from inside. Mm-hmm. Kind of like your alter ego. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, uh, it, it, we get inspiration from from wherever we get it, you know, and mm-hmm. and and the the at the bottom line, I think, is creating compelling characters and telling an interesting story. I mean, that's what people want to read or, you know, check out in a comic book. So uh, I I get all that. And then 
let, let me ask you this, you know, from a psychologist's perspective. <laughs> well, I'm guessing you enjoy living vicariously through her experiences. Yeah, I do. That, yes, yeah, all right. Nothing wrong with that. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to think who I would live vicariously through, but I don't know. I can't think of anybody, really. I don't know. Anyway, okay. All right. So now at this point, you've got about how many, you said before you had about eight episodes that you put together, right, initially that you had online? Oh. Um, or or eight, eight stories or or was it more? You said, oh, I'm sorry, you said 80,000 words, didn't you? Right. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of words. Um, and 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 since you pulled them off of the web, for mm-hmm. people to review them, uh, how how are you you know presenting them to how how do you plan on presenting them to other people as as a full blown comic or maybe maybe even the graphic novel or the the children's book format as you mentioned what what are you looking at in terms of commercializing your your creative world? This particular series, the heart of it would be as a, a web comic and then a graphic novel. But I also have uh, side stories of the characters that I want to write. The uh, novel format, uh, I want it to do kind of uh, animated shorts of the characters, mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. to give a, a little bit more into their world and their backgrounds and why they are the way they are. So there's a, a couple of li- different avenues that I want to go through with this series. Um, okay, so you've got av- uh, excuse me, animation. You've got... Mm-hmm. Kind of like the the graphic novel esque kind of um, format, and then I, you know I'm wondering, are you looking long term to maybe putting together uh, a movie about you know in your creative universe, or or are you going to keep it more episodic? I mean, or or even have you thought long term enough to decide, you know? where it's going to end up, let's say a couple years down the road? I would see episodic. You know, quite naturally, I think it would be kind of, you know, pretty cool to have a uh, a movie based on a particular event in the series, but uh, I definitely see it being episodic. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't, uh, the story has a beginning, middle, and end, but, you know, I can't see everything being resolved in a span of, what is it now, 25 minutes, 20, 24 minutes? episodes, but um, just this continuous story uh, with an end to it. So uh, definitely episodes. Um, Something that I am slowly learning and trying to figure out how can I do that and put it online where people can see it. So uh, I've got a couple of um, uh, things in mind, and they would be more like animatics, uh, Mm -hmm. not as fluid as animation because I'm also looking at time because I have to, I have to work a day job, so, <laughs> but I still want to present it in an entertaining way that helps to just expand on this world that this character lives in. Sure, and you know, and that kind of begs the question: um, Do you think that, in order to get to where you want to go, you're you're going to be able to collaborate with other people to help you out? You know, it, it would be nice if you could concentrate on A and B, and then let somebody else do C and D. You know mm-hmm. that sort of thing, or um, have you? 
now where you want to share your universe, or is it still kind of a singular pursuit while you figure things out? Right now it's still singular. Uh, that thought has crossed my mind, but I don't think I'm there just yet. Um, that one's still a tough question. <laughs> well, no, I mean, some people, you know, like uh, I, I write in my universe, but, you know, very shortly I'm going to open it up to have other people do short stories in it because I, mm-hmm. I would love to see other people's takes. Mm-hmm. But I think for something like what you're talking about, it's it's a lot more personal. Um, and And I'm sure that you have in your mind in your mind's eye, exactly how you want to see it happen. So sometimes it's hard farming that out to somebody else or or even finding someone who shares your vision. So that 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 might be difficult. Yeah, that's another scary side to it. Um, just the thought of trying to work with someone and then they try to put a spin on it that I or go in a direction that I did not want to go in. So yeah, mm-hmm. that that's definitely in my mind. Yeah. And then, you know, here's the other question I'm curious about. You know, mm-hmm. we, we met we met on BlackScienceFictionSociety.com website. You and I mm-hmm. started chatting there. How did you that site? How did I find it? Yes. Oh, gosh. Uh, Facebook. Do you remember? Um, I had a buddy to give me the name of the site. Okay. And um, uh, Sue gave me the address, and I started signing up, but I was kind of hardly there for a hot minute. I guess I was still trying to figure out where to go, but um, I started mm-hmm. to surface more, and people were talking, and they were nice, <laughs> which is kind of a, that doesn't go hand in hand online. Nice. <laughs> they call me bad days right away, or when they my No! <laughs> There were other artists there, and they were of similar mindsets. You know, they want to create dark-skinned characters, and they were, you know, encouraging. It was like this whole different little area. I'm like, oh wow, I found my sure. people. <laughs> you know, I and I forget I forget to ask, you know, guests that because you know that's important for me. Uh, I was actually referred to the site by somebody who is never there. I never oh, see wow. him there. Well, no, I was in a I was in a writing group with him. Um, this was years back. His name is uh, Hunter Adams, and I I never see him there at all. Um, so it was kind of it was kind of weird, you know. I I I logged in. I I found so many people who were doing so many creative things who I never would have found otherwise. And then something mm-hmm. that I just posted. I just joined Facebook. Because because I you know because everybody does I don't really see the utility in it other than finding well you know finding older friends things like that but then there's the there's the there's baby the, daddy risk so I worry about oh, that geez. but <laughs> but but I mean getting coming to BlackScienceFictionSociety.com you know when you consider you've got about I guess five thousand members. Mm-hmm. And and you have you have a really hardcore group of about a thousand people who are really doing creative things on a daily basis, and and so I you know I'm always curious how people find it and use it and uh, you know it's nice you know I have noticed what you said that people are generally very nice they seem to be very helpful and um, it, it's a nice neighborhood to to, to hang out in mm-hmm. um, so that was that was why I asked in terms of you you moving forward, 
you know, it sounds like you have a lot of kind of like business-related things to work out in terms of commercializing your work, mm-hmm. and then you still have some skill set um, upgrades that you want to do, mm-hmm. uh, and and you work a regular job. Yeah. Uh, about how much how much time a day or how much time a week, whichever is easier for you to answer, are you able to spend in your in the, your creative work? You know, let's say on a daily basis. Uh, on a work day, I'd say a definite three to four hours. Okay. Um, and on an off day, one off day, if nobody finds out what day it's on, I could have all day. <laughs> and the other off day, it's more of a, I try to just take one day where I go visit my mom and I go just relax and crack open a, a video game and just try not to get too creative. But then at night, I'll open my laptop and start typing again. So it doesn't last long. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I probably then, would put in about, what, two hours at night writing? Yeah. And and so that's that's writing in your creative universe about a couple hours mm-hmm. a day? Mm-hmm. That's, that's, that's lucky. That's pretty good. You know, not everybody who has a square job is able to to spend that much time and and is your ultimate goal to be able to live off of your work so that you don't have to do that whole eight hours someplace else or whatever you know whatever a a full-time job is for you yes so uh, that's definitely uh, because I'd like to also work on a couple of the other stories that right now are moving at a snail's pace given the amount of time that I have are these outside your your current crea- or your your primary creative universe or your initial creative universe? Mm-hmm. Uh, do you want to give us a little bit of an idea what they're about, or or would you rather hold that? Oh, sure. Uh, one uh, particular story that I'm working on was uh, I was introduced to the whole world of uh, steampunk and diesel punk, and thought it was amazing. Looks beautiful. It's just absolutely wonderful, but. Over time, I begin to wonder, because I'd come across sites, and they're like, okay, well, steampunk is kind of the 1800 period, you know, if we went a different direction in the 1800s, and diesel punk is like the early 1900s, if we went just a different Mm -hmm. direction there, what the world would look like. And in my head, I'm like, every time I read a story, a novel, a fan fiction, a comic, it's like they're all skipping this one like blaringly hard thing. And what was happening in the early 1800s? What was happening in the early 1900s? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I wanted to I mean, touch I, on you're, that. You're talk- okay, so what you want to do is you want to be a little more historically relevant for I wanted for to still put it period, in the, uh, or... Well, I still wanted to put it in a fanciful world. Um, okay. I have a uh, character that was a part of a war. Uh, it was kind of in that era where steampunk turned into diesel. Um, mm-hmm. It's another female lead, um, and just she's like the unsung war hero because you know of two things, of her race and her gender. So I wanted to start with that kind of setting of after the war and everything is kind of getting back on its feet and well she's got to live so she's starting a small business and what happens um 
but I did want to acknowledge the fact that even in this fanciful world, uh, racism is still there. Bigotry is still there. Uh, you're you're well, sure. still having to fight despite the fact that the war is over. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, that's... Hmm? Go ahead. Oh, no, no. Go ahead. Well, okay. And and so, you know, you're, you're writing. Obviously, you want to write and you want to have characters who look like you, as you stated before. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's black characters. If you're going to deal with, you know, the 1800s and the early 1900s, yes, you have to deal with the aspects of slavery if you're going to be mm-hmm. at all historically historically relevant, even though it's speculative fiction. Um, mm-hmm. How how much of the issue of race? Um, it, how, how yeah? How much of an issue the issue of race? is going to be kind of like the basis of your story. Is is that going to be um, kind of a major theme, or is it an aside? Of how, what, I guess what I'm asking is, what kind of perspective are you going to put together um, in order I to, would say, you know? I'd, I'd say race is a big deal, but it's also just between race and between gender. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, would be big deals. And the fact that, yes, this is a woman in an era that would be a 20-year mark between the late 1800s, early 1900s, trying to make it in a era that's dominated by men. Yeah. Um, so it's it's a mixture of both of those. I think that story started to spark itself when my mom in just this conversation uh, told me that um, you are the fourth generation born free. So I'm thinking five generations ago, right? Um, my that would be my twice or three times great grandmother was mm-hmm, born mm-hmm. a slave and then freed. So that's not right. really that long ago. And considering just listening to. Uh, my family, the crap that they had to go through, and yet they still prevailed. I also want just that, um, just that story of overcoming obstacles. I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a sucker for the uh, underdogs pulling it, you know, making it. <laughs> okay. Well, well, strictly from a marketing perspective, um, mm-hmm. who who are you looking at to purchase your work or enjoy your work if not purchased you know if they're if they're just going to you know you know who is your target audience i think i would have i would want to go towards young adults but i think just adults um okay would click a little bit faster i could be wrong but um at least right now i'm thinking adult versus uh Kids, yeah, young adults. And are you thinking black versus what we consider mainstream? You know, unfortunately, there is that dichotomy out there. People will remind you about it. People will talk about it. Yeah. Um, I'm targeting us. Because at the end of the day, um, I want to just celebrate us. And eventually, they're going to get curious enough to see what we're talking about. So I'm not terribly uh, concerned at this point of appealing to uh, non-African-American readers? Well, you know, remember, non, non-African-American readers uh, 
don't want to read about slavery or any black issues because, first of all, in order, well, you, you know all the reasons. You know, yeah. there's a whole segment of whites out there who would just as soon believe that slavery didn't exist or that, worse yet, Oh, you know, it wasn't such a bad deal for black folks. You know, they had a place to live. They had three squares a day, which is, you know. <laughs> Thus the uh, illusion of a story about a woman trying to start a business in an era that's influenced by the steam age turning into diesel. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And, and see, you know, I, I always wonder, because when you set out to be um, an author, a writer, a comic book creator, you know, graphic mm-hmm. novels, whatever, and you are of color. Mm-hmm. You, have, you have this whole mainstream audience out there, and let's call it what it is. You have these white reviewers and white readers out there, and, and somehow, if you would like to be insanely successful, you know, you're going to have to appeal to them in order to build your market share. Because let's face it, you know, not a lot of, uh, you know, first of all, when you have 13% of the overall population being black Mm -hmm. and not all of them reading everything that we as creators put out, Mm -hmm. you know, there there has to be some distinct strategies for financial success. So, you know, I always ask about that because I'm, I'm wondering, have you given some thought to, you know, your road? To financial success, where that road is taking you, and 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 what the road traveled is. I think for now, like I said, I am a complete noob when it comes to the business aspect of it. Okay. Uh, right now, I am holding uh, on to working a the the nine to five uh, because in about four years, everything will be paid: the house, the car, you name it. Um, and that time, I still want to present Catholos as much as I can to try and develop a fan base. Because right sure. now, uh, the audience is pretty widespread. It's not just uh, uh, blacks reading it. It's That's true. way yeah. out there, which is, which is shocking, but uh, in, a, in a good way. So my thing would be to just present this current story and myself out there and hopefully when that story ends and the next one begins, I will have developed a, a fan base. Hopefully, you know, right now I'm giving Patreon a, a, a shot. Hopefully mm-hmm. that would have continued and, and go from there. And I can slowly work my way into just being an artist versus working the nine to five. But right now it's kind of like we've got artists part-time and nine to five primary just to take care of all the woes, you know, the mortgage and the, car note and all that lovely stuff. But um, I do have a plan to get that out the way and get that worry out the way so that I can focus more on getting the comic out there and getting the animation out there more and getting the novels out there, be be it digitally or have it printed And and have you thought about maybe even the international market? Because a lot of um, black creatives in the U.S. Mm -hmm. have pretty pretty strong um, international followings. Um, Have you thought about where your appeal might be outside the U.S.? Or or like you said, I know you're new at the whole business thing. Mm -hmm. Um, Or are you... Or are you in the process of developing kind of like an overall strategy? My Kickstarter showed me that a lot of international people were interested. So okay. 
that has definitely made me look, but I'm still trying to figure out the how yeah. as far as how to get it out there to them. Because right now, international shipping is a monster, but um, I am trying to figure out how can I market over there as well because um, uh, I get, even when I look at uh, who's visiting the webcomic site, there's a lot of um, international attention towards it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I mean, there a lot, a few people who I know who I've interviewed on this show mm-hmm. have opted for digital delivery internationally. Mm-hmm. You know, so that it so that it gets printed locally because that helps with the cost, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, there's, you know, as you said, you're you haven't really looked deeply into this, and there are a lot of options. Um, and I think that's where some some people can give you some better advice. You know, I got uh, got okay. Alan in the chat room says, do not go digital. I, I tend to agree because I find that anything that's digitized is easily easy to steal. And so, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know. Anyhow, but anything uh, that's printed, is, it's, 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 it's both ways from what I've seen. <laughs> yeah. Hang on a second. You're listening to the Genesis Science Fiction Radio Show, a service of the BlackScienceFictionSociety.com website. This is the last show for 2016, the December 30th show, and our special guest tonight is Beverly Tool. That's Tool with an E on the end, if you want to look her up. Um, otherwise, you can go to www.theshatteredworld.com, about, and this is about her, her writing. Or you can catch up with uh, some of her art on uh, Bev Tool, B-E-V-T-O-O-L, E, E, uh, deviantart.com. So, um, Sorry, I was looking at it, and I, you know, I'm looking right at it, and I, I knew there was an E there, and I said, you know, well, you know, I'm, I'm used to it. It's okay. <laughs> <clears throat> Excuse me. Okay, so um, when you think about, uh, well, you, you've mentioned. I don't want to belabor the whole business side because because you've mentioned that you. Um, you're in the process of formulating your your overall business and marketing strategy. Mm-hmm. Um, what are the things that you have found in in the creation of your universe and the work that you've done so far? What what are some of the easy things, the the, the, the things that were probably the most effective for you to do in terms of getting people to see your work? Oh gosh, um, social media, which. I am still getting the hang of um, putting it on places like Instagram and Twitter and DeviantArt and Facebook help really generate a crowd. Uh, Reddit is something that I'm still learning. Uh, it's kind of a scary mm-hmm. place, but it does bring a crowd over. <laughs> so I'm trying um, to uh, get the uh, the hang of as far as timing, consistency, as far as where can I post that will draw uh, people over most often. Well, that sounds like you spend more than a couple hours a day on, on <laughs> online. I mean, it does. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. I, mean, I do, yeah. I do. Um, usually I would uh, upload it to one spot and then save uh, images on my phone. And whenever I would get a break at work uh, from my phone, I'd update some of the other outlets and uh, just try and keep tabs on it that way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and let's talk about that. Um, let's talk about... Which one of those social media platforms seems to be most successful for you? Or are different social media platforms successful 
um, in in certain aspects, certain well-defined aspects. What are you finding with your with your tooling around? Readers come from Reddit. Uh, mm-hmm. People that just kind of want to view images come from Instagram. Uh, Facebook is still a mystery because it's so easy to get lost in the feed. It's easy to get lost in the feed in others, but some, for some reason, Facebook is still kind of strange. So mm-hmm. I'd say um, Reddit and Instagram and then Twitter have been my most successful areas. Okay. Um, and then what kinds of responses do you get? You know, when, um, when, you, get, when you get feedback from, from mm-hmm. people about your work, um, what else, uh, what, what kinds of responses do you get? You know, are they, are they generally talking about what you've done or are they, you know, give us kind of an overview so people can know what to expect if they employ the same kind of strategy that you have? Um, it's a, a mix of those that want to be uh, art critics. Usually it's pretty positive. Okay. Um, right. So I tend to make try and make people feel comfortable by letting them know, um, hey, feel free to review. Let me know what you see. You spot an error or you think this could um, – or I could use Manga Studio or Photoshop uh, in a different way. Speak up. So just mm-hmm. to let them feel welcome and okay to voice my opinion. But uh, outside of that, they've been uh, pretty much uh, – Praises on Joe's design, on the uh, the con- uh, liking the concept. Um, and and I mean, you know, I wonder, do you every now and then learn something new from somebody who might give you a? Oh, I've got. A, I, I opened up one of those websites here where you can <laughs> see it. Oh no, when they when they start playing music like that, I I mm-hmm. just I don't even go back. Um, oh no. So, do you get do you get kind of an interactive dialogue on any of those platforms that that may be helpful or you know you can get something out of it? As far as my comic goes, um, I get a lot of spell checkers, <laughs> oh, <laughs> which is actually yeah. I'm okay. happy for. But uh, as sure. far as commentary, I'm not right now because uh, I have it's not that far along. I think in the story for people to give any uh, heavy commentary. Mm-hmm. Uh, on DeviantArt, uh, people are a little, well, at least they used to be, a little bit more vocal as far as suggestions, if, especially if I put the question out there. I'm struggling with filters or, you know, I'm trying to figure out a better way to use um, a feature for layers or something. They don't mind piping up and saying, well, I use this over here, or if you search up this guy, he gives tutorials on how to do it. But um, Mm -hmm. not any crazy deep dialogue yet. I think as the further along I go and the more I push it in people's faces, uh, I will start to get that. I mean, you know, it's a big community out there. You know, I... (laughs) I haven't really gotten very many people critiquing me or helping me out with um, with my writing, so I was just curious what you got. But I only joined Facebook like a, a week or two ago, um, mm-hmm. and and mostly because I, I didn't join before because it makes it way too easy for the police to find you. So, uh-huh. um, I mean, uh, I mean, I mean, I mean something else, but that's <laughs> sure. <laughs> And and so when when you're working on your you know your your interaction, what are some of the more positive aspects of the social media scene 
that that really help you along in terms of you know either uh, encouraging you or or helping your work. I mean, yeah, on DeviantArt, people will give you some some uh, suggestions about doing things, but in mm-hmm. terms, you know, I I my media strategy is a lot more than social media because mm-hmm. for me, at least for you know uh, a Twitter feed or well, you know, even <clears throat> even a Facebook page, essentially things that you're posting, you're posting to people who already generally know what you're doing until you reach a certain threshold where mm-hmm. you know, you've got a lot of people who are going to want to see, they're going to, they, they subscribe to your feed because they want to know if something new comes out or, or things like that. Um, when you were starting out, uh, did you see it as a, a, a hill to climb or was this just a, an embedded strategy that you really believed in and you thought was going to really um, work out for you? It was a hill to climb uh, because I was just wasn't familiar with it. Um, mm-hmm. As far as it letting me know whether or not this is going to work, uh, because I was a bit, uh, I was extremely shy <laughs> as far as putting my work out there in the beginning to get the sure. response on the the how I draw and the look of certain characters. That encouragement definitely did play a part in me feeling better about going ahead and just pulling the trigger and really getting it out there. Because it just showed there are people that are receptive towards your style because before that I was told that in one of my classmates literally said, black characters don't sell. And that comment was in my head for years. So to see people uh, responding and receiving and, and happy about, you know, how Joe looks as well as the other characters that travel with her um has been has been great you know although i did get one person to comment that i had a uh, an illustration of everybody lined up or at least you know in a group shot and mm-hmm. she says they look very brown <laughs> well yeah you mean in terms of just the color that you used on the page or brown in terms of black people it was definitely the color but it was more towards the character's ethnicity <laughs> But yeah, I I don't think she meant harm, but just she just blurted it out. They look very brown. I'm like, well, that was intentional right. here. <laughs> well, you know, throw an Asian you know person in there, you know, mix it up or something. I don't know. Um, <laughs> and and that's that's another question I've got. You know, long term, do you see do you see more? a more inclusive or, no, a more cosmopolitan uh, look to your characters or or are you kind of sticking with the brown? Uh, For main cast uh, or primary characters, most I'm pretty much sticking with the brown. You know, of course I want to introduce (laughs) others, but um, I want to just see more folk that look like me that are, you know, in... Final Fantasy, well, Final Fantasy-ish games or leading roles in, you know, insert whatever TV series here uh, that are the, the witty ones, that are the ones that, you know, have the action scenes where they make it by the skin of their teeth that actually survive. Um, I want to see more of that. And right now I am, I'm seeing more of it, but it's kind of like it's a fad right now. 
and yeah. bads come and they go. And so I want to right now <laughs> just stick to my guns and mm-hmm. keep putting out more that look like me because, you know, I know when I was younger that thought did cross my t- my mind on a multiple, multiple occasions that sure. they look like me. So I can yeah. imagine there's a couple of other little kids out there right now that are thinking the same thing. Yeah, yeah, and and I I I get that, you know, I do get that. Um, but again, you know, well, let me ask you this because you mm-hmm. you mentioned that you've seen other works. You know, are there are there other uh, creators out there other than the two you mentioned at the very beginning, mm-hmm. who who you do take a look at or who you follow or who you you kind of admire from from a side, you know what I'm saying? You know, uh, wh- are there are there other creators out there who you admire or who influence your work? Uh, yes, yes. Um, I follow an artist uh, named Jason Brubaker that created uh-huh. a comic called Remind, and it's following the cat in a robot suit. <laughs> but I thought the story was so creative, and then the artist himself was so open as far as his process. Mm-hmm. That 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 drew me in, and that series has ended, and he started another one, and I'm reading that one. Um, there is a artist, I believe he is Korean. I could be dead wrong, but he goes by a, a acronym, WLOP. I follow him mm-hmm. uh, because his skills with Photoshop are just mind-boggling. Um, so it's... I, it's a wide range of people that I will definitely read up on. A couple of web comics that I follow, um, that be it because I like the color, or I like the story, or I like the style. Um, it's it's a <laughs> it's kind of weird. Some people I purely follow because I like how they ink. Nothing mm-hmm, else. Mm-hmm. I just like how they ink. And others that I follow because I love their colors. And then others work is. But it makes me laugh, you know, or it draws me in. So I'm going to read it mm-hmm. anyway. So yeah. <laughs> and and other than tutorials on software, I mean, do mm-hmm. you do you think that your skills are are sufficient un, unto the day uh, to, to to carry you forward, or do you see? Do you think that you need maybe some? Oh, I you know I don't even know you know okay some help with your writing or or mm-hmm. whatever you know I every now and then I'll pick up a book you know maybe a couple books a year on writing you know on just writing just so I can see what other people's perspective mm-hmm. is on the art. Um, do you see anything like that for yourself? Oh, there's always room for training. There's always yeah. room to learn more. Um, I feel like where I am, um, I can move with it. But there's so much more I want to learn to improve on and get better with. So I, I will never see myself as there. there there's just always mm-hmm. something else that I want to figure out and learn and add to. Yeah, I always consider myself a work in progress. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, well, I mean, you know, I, I, I like I, ha- I had a tough time with brevity. You know, my first book was 330,000 words when I got done oh, with wow. the manuscript. I know that's like that's like uh, 750 pages. That's ridiculous. You know, nobody's going <laughs> to publish a book from a first-time author that's that long. So you know, I got an editor who was really great at cutting that down. You know, took a third of that out. But 
but now I'm getting better. And I, you know, I like to think that I'm improving. Mm-hmm. You know, and for you, you've got you've got two prongs where you can, you know, you could also apply the same thing. You've got you've got you know both the uh, the artistic aspect and you have the writing aspect. Um, mm-hmm. When when you put the two together, is it is it an easy process for you now where you can, you know, you have the narrative and then you drop in the the, the drawings? Is it well integrated? You know, how how easy has it become for you up until now? Uh, in the beginning, it was difficult uh, because I had mm-hmm. the story in mind, but breaking it down into a scripted format was just, for some reason, it was just terrible. I just could not figure out uh, the proper way of doing it. So I did reach out to a coworker um, at that time to help me out. This is the story, and here's the, the novel format of it. You know, I'm trying to break this down into a, uh, for lack of a better word, uh, episodes or issues, and then break that down into a script. So sure. um, I think that was one of my first hardcore tastes of what it's like to work with someone because um, by no means did he do anything wrong or try to take the story or the idea, but he liked uh, one of the secondary characters on the crew of the crew that Joe travels with more than Joe because she was a lot more physically attractive. So okay. he took what I would what I had written and tried to put that character in the front in the front. And I kept thinking you're overwriting the main character and you're kind of defeating part of her purpose. Okay. Um so eventually I just had to back away and just start looking at scripts and start reading about it and and just figuring it out. You know, I think my whole life has been about figuring it out. <laughs> Mhm. Mhm. Well, I mean that's um, that's obviously an advantage. I mean the fact that you know I I interviewed a woman who thought that uh, you know by the time she hit college, uh, she was at the pinnacle, the oh, very boy. pinnacle of uh, creative writing, um, which which is a fairly famous interview that everybody <laughs> everybody refers back to or at least talks to me about. But but there I don't. I don't, this was the only person I ever met who thought that they could not improve. Oh, um, no. Well, I, you know, there, there are people who are out there like that. Um, and, and I have to admit, there have been a few people who have said to me, hey, could you take a look at my work and, and critique it? Let me know what you think. And when I let them know what I thought, and, and I'm, I don't, I can be cruel, but I'm not cruel when I critique someone's work because, you know, they obviously are trying to do something. They're trying to accomplish something, and mm-hmm. that's not the right venue to be, you know, a real asshole. But but if I if I said, well, I think that this could be improved or this could be improved, you know, on a, on a few occasions, I found that they didn't want a critique after all. They just wanted a cheerleader. And when I wasn't ah. going to be a cheerleader, they they just, you know, they never spoke to me again or didn't speak to me about that work. So... You know, it's always good to find people who realize that they can improve and that, you know, there there are, you know, sometimes better ways of doing things, different ways of doing things, you know, that, that can augment your craft. Um, you, you don't sound like the kind of person who is against running into those things or finding out those things or researching those things or hearing from somebody else that you could have improved here. So, I mean, that, that seems to bode well for you as a creative talent because, you know, you sound very much like me um, in considering yourself a work in progress. 
Um, I'm, not, I'm nowhere near perfect. I will say, though, that I just submitted a short story a few months ago someplace, and it was 1,900 words. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I've, written, I've written a short bio that was longer than that. You know? <laughs> so I, I'm, well, I, I'm wordy. I admit that I'm wordy, and that's something that I have to worry about, worry about and something that I have to work on. I, don't really, I guess I don't have to worry about it so much as I have to maybe find a, a more concise way of writing. So that's something I constantly work on. Is there something like that for you in terms of your writing that that you think could be improved and that maybe you are in the middle of or, or constantly, you know, looking at self-critiquing and maybe making changes or, or trying to improve? Is there anything like that for you? Oh, yeah. Um, I think part of what drives me to, to constantly try and read and figure it out is the fact that um, I have no formal training in that. And and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in my younger days, that wasn't even available to me at all. So, of course, I, I want to, like, tag somebody on the shoulder and, hey, can you can you look at this and, and help me? Um, because I would have big concerns about pacing, uh, about dialogue, um, especially in my younger years where I was extraordinarily sheltered. So mm-hmm. I was often self-conscious of whether or not people would think that the stories that I wrote were believable enough. Even though it was a fiction, and we all know it's this fantasy setting, there still needs to be a sense of, I believe this is happening to this character, or I understand where they're coming from. And so I was self-conscious about it because you know I didn't have a lot of experience points. So... <laughs> Um, gosh, gosh, yes, uh, from character development, I was very uh, antsy about that, so I would often try, and if I couldn't find somebody, I was reading on something on how to develop your characters, or just, oh gosh, it was across the board, as far as uh, me just trying to get relatively close to where I want to (laughs) be. Yeah, and then, you know, to to that vein, and I'm, you know, I'm not trying to, you know, dig up anything bad or anything but i mean in terms of your your creativity both as a writer and as as an artist you know mm-hmm. wh- what can you think of the worst experience you had in trying to put this you know your your creative universe together you know did you run into a roadblock or or a sticking point that that really took some work to get around or to to overcome um as far as this particular story is concerned, I think pacing was a big deal. Uh, sticking with certain things too long or not long enough were a big deal. Uh, before mm-hmm. that, I tried working with a on a project with an old classmate, and I got stuck with someone that felt like because we had posted pages for it wasn't even two weeks that she felt like we needed to go faster because editors were watching us. I had to deal with that personality. And unfortunately, that same personality was um, the type that wanted you to do the work and she would be in the front. So um, I think uh, I was extraordinarily self-conscious because I had to deal with her telling me, amongst others, that... uh, you've only got this one style, you've only got this one method, and it's okay. I've got 
you know, a bazillion talents hanging over here and I'm so much better. Be happy with the little bit that you have. So I think overcoming, uh, I guess, my fears of people not uh, liking my writing or liking the characters or anything, I think that was my biggest obstacle, getting rid of the people Mm -hmm. that were that toxic. Um, I understand critique, but then there's just toxic. (laughs) <laughs> just septic right. level toxic that I needed to get rid of. And I think when I got past that hurdle, that's when my I just exploded as far as mm-hmm. getting being more creative and just jumping back in there and and just pushing forward on it. Did you end up shooting her? No. <laughs> oh no, I was I'm sorry. I <laughs> I wanted to cuz I I know I, I I admit I was angry for a while. When it finally yeah. hit its peak um, in that uh, in that relationship, I was uh, very uh, very angry for a while. But uh, once I was able to let that go and still realize that I still want to draw and I still want to tell a story, that's when NaNoWriMo hit. And then that's mm-hmm. when I started taking off from there and trying new things on my own, even though I felt like, Okay, nobody's gonna like this because everybody's been telling me that I'm just this one way and I'll you know, never be over here. Well let's just give it a try anyway. Now, um what what role did NanoRimo play for you? Did it did it help you Well, yeah, you tell me. I'm not even gonna suggest. I mean, was it <laughs> was it of help to you? You know, what where, where was so. and if it was, where was the utility of it? I think it, it helped in, me just to Spit it out. Okay. Um, I hear a lot of people making fun of NaNoWriMo because apparently there are some people that participate and they think that after November 30th, uh, they've got a novel and it's going to be this big seller. But for me, it was just spit it out. You got a deadline. You got so many words, you know, a day that you can type. Just, just get it out there. Just spit it out. And then when you're done, let it sit and bake for a couple of months and then come back and look at it. And okay. I think that was the biggest help for me. I participated in it again and I I beat my mark. But um it, it was I think it was the thrill of trying to hit that fifty thousand word mark and then just get it out your head and get it onto the computer, you know, and just you know you've got it in you now. My confidence was is a lot stronger now. So it was just I think I would definitely recommend it to people just for that deadline looming over them and it makes them just spit out whatever's in their head because they might put out something that with a little bit more nurturing, a little bit more research might be what they need to get to where they're going. Yeah, I um, that was one of the first things that, that was conveyed to me when I was telling people, you know, I'm, um, I'm writing a book. And they go, really? And I go, yeah. And then, um, no, I've... I've approach some writers and discuss the process. And I think that one of the most helpful ideas that was given to me was um, an author who said, no, I guess they were just, I don't know if they were published or not, but they said that, you know, the, the, the biggest thing for her was to get the story out on paper or in your computer, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to get the whole thing in there. Don't, because I was I was writing a chapter, then I would stop and edit it. Yeah. Well, I you know that was that was a tough slog, and even though you know those 750 pages only took nine months, the reason why they only took nine months was after about the first three weeks, 
she told me to cut that out. She said, do you have the whole story in your head? I said, pretty much. She says, well, why don't you get it down first, get it down on paper first, and then you can go back and clean it up. And I think that was one of, one of the most valuable pieces of advice that I got as an early writer, you know. And, and I suppose that the, that same strategy um, is, is useful because it kind of breaks people out of the, well, it's got to be perfect before I can move on kind of idea. Mm-hmm. And I've met, I don't know if you've met people, but I've met people who've been working on the same book for like 10 years or longer or whatever. I hear the horror stories of working on it for that long. (laughs) Yeah, but I mean, you know, I, I, and there have been a few times I've asked, I said, well, well, what's the, what's the main impediment to to moving faster? Well, I have a job and I have, uh, I have a family and that, you know, they would, they would list a list. When I get home at night, I'm so tired. All I want to do is get some rest because I got to start all over the next day at my job, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, I'm, I am, I am so fortunate that for the most part, I get to set my hours. That's a huge mm-hmm. thing, you know, because, mm-hmm. um, I have a lot more control over my day than, than many, many, many people. And I, I'm very grateful for that. But, the other thing that I learned in the process of writing the first time was if you treat it like a part-time job, it will get done. So mm-hmm. after, after about a month, every day at 10 p.m., no matter what I was doing, I would stop, I would get in front of the computer, and I would either write or edit till, you know, for the next three, four hours. And when, when I did that, things happened. You know, when mm-hmm. you treat writing like a part-time job, You'll, you'll finish what you're writing. Um, it may cut into your sleep time, but then, you know, for me it was only nine months. Um, yeah. What doesn't cut, cut into your sleep time? <laughs> well, that's true. You know, um, <laughs> it, it wasn't nearly as engaging or time-consuming or time-sensitive time as like, you know, when, when, when my kids were born. You know, you get no sleep, you know, or you get very little sleep. <laughs> If you if you buy the right book, you can finally get some sleep. But no, I mean, I understood what other people were saying about the fact that, you know, life gets in the way. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if if you can get around that, it seems to be a much, much easier process. For you, you you mentioned that you do a couple hours a day. You've got you've got a, a day job, you've got uh you've got a life, you have things that you have to do, you visit your mom. Mm-hmm. You know, but Yet every day you still seem to be able to put in a couple hours, and that's I think that that's the equivalent of what I do, just not as many hours. You're probably more efficient than I am. Um, I making a a schedule had helped, and I guess it's it's got to be done. I mean, <laughs> because for me, yes, I get two off days during the week, but when somebody finds out when that off day is, you usually end up with a bunch of chores on your off day. So it's you just have to plan as far ahead as you can and just just spend it out. Wait, chores, chores from other people. Yes. On your off day. Oh, yeah. you got to upgrade your friends. You, you <laughs> really do. You, <laughs> you got to drop those people who are getting in the way of your life. That's terrible. Um, oh. <laughs> it can't be helped. <laughs> I, I'm only I'm only half joking, but I mean, no, I mean, you you still have to maintain a life. You know, I, yeah. I have my friends, I talk to them, sometimes I'll go do stuff, you know. Uh, you know, today I went shooting, not film, 
You know, and people go, well, really, you have guns? I said, well, yeah, I'm kind of like your worst nightmare. I'm a Japanese girl with guns. And so, you know, uh, anyhow, and but it's legal. I'm all legal and everything. But, you know, you're, you're right. There, but there are days, oh, there are days when I'm writing. You know, when I take the day off and then somebody mm-hmm. calls me up and says, hey, let's go for ice cream. And I always want to go, you, 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 you I don't know, I'm, I'm writing, I'm writing. Don't you get, oh, come on, it'll just take a little while, you know, because I got, like, the greatest ice cream parlor right around the corner here. You know, come on, let's go, you know. So, yeah, I kind of, I resent, I'm at the point where I do resent interruptions, and I think that um, because of how old I am, you know, I'm getting, I'm like a porch and a rocking chair away from that, away from being that guy saying, get the hell off my lawn. But... <laughs> I, I really like the life that I've built for myself. I've spent an extraordinary amount of time getting to where I am now, and I, I enjoy it. I mean, you're, yeah. you're a lot younger than I am, but it also sounds like, I mean, obviously, if you complain about how, you know, these people get in your day off and things like that, but it still seems like you get the work done. It still seems like you have the discipline to apply to be able to do what you need to do, and, mm-hmm. and all of that is really positive. Um, when when you started writing creatively, you know, you mentioned, uh, I, I was wondering, um, how how did your friends and your family react? And, and, you know, I heard the joke about, yeah, they try to make me do things on my day off. But um, are you finding that they have a great amount of respect for you and and what is really your chosen profession? That took a long time. Uh, it really wasn't until the Kickstarter that they realized right. that, oh, wow, you know, people will actually give you money for this. Uh, but it faded after that. And then it was this year where I went to a convention and sold out of books. And mm-hmm. my mom was just floored. And she actually... It was kind of surreal because my mom never apologizes. But she, uh, I was in my backyard with her, and she turned to me and said, had I known or just understood the possibilities of, as far as if I could have helped you or put you in the presence of those that could inspire you or just promoted your artwork, where you would be now? Because um, it was hard, and she understands now that uh, – it didn't make it any easier, but that she mm-hmm. actually apologized for giving me mm-hmm. such a hard time in my, my youth. So mm-hmm. she's understanding now. Uh, my, my siblings are kind of hit and miss, but they do have a lot more respect to it towards it now than they did before. They started seeing the dollar signs. Unfortunately, yeah. it took dollars for them to finally say, oh, wow, that's actually worth something. Well, that, <laughs> kind, of, that kind of makes sense because – you know, when when you tell your parents, you know, I think I'm going to be a writer. You know, that first of all, that's a tough climb. You know, unless yeah. you write for maybe a a prestigious magazine, newspaper, things like something like that, where you will get seen right away. If you mm-hmm. tell them, well, you know what, I'm going to create a comic book. Oh, I'm going to write a trilogy. Oh, I'm going to do short stories. You know, people. You know, people who do care about you want you to be successful. They want you to be able to mm-hmm. pay your bills. They don't want you coming over and sleeping on their couch because you lost your apartment. So, well, I, you know, let's just be honest. This so, is true. You know, that, I agree. That's kind, of, that's kind of a tough thing. And, you know, you're like me. You have a day job in order to pay the bills. 
And <clears throat> that's a necessity at this point. You know, you and I are the same in that, you know, I dream that one day I can get up in the morning and go, oh, whose who's computer, whose laptop do I have to de-porn before they turn it back into corporate? You know, or or who who got a virus because they they clicked on that free Russian brides website or you know whatever the nonsense <laughs> is. Oh, believe me, if it'll be porn drives the internet, it really does. I mean, nineteen ninety two. Yeah. That's what you know. That's that's what it was the same growth curve as VCRs in nineteen seventy six. When people find out you get free sex content, um, they'll go wherever that is. Yeah, and, and yeah. you know, I, I don't want to sound, no, I really don't want to sound like, um, you know, I'm complaining because it, it did it did generate enough interest to get the Internet to where it is now. I just don't understand, you know, don't do it at work or whatever. And, and for me, you know, I, I don't log on when I'm hungry to watch people eat. But that's, that's just me. <laughs> but, but, you know, and I would love to not have to, you know, have to answer that phone call where somebody says, oh, my laptop crashed and, I, you know, I didn't back up my data or this or that or whatever nonsense. Because, you know, at this point in my career, I've been doing computer stuff since 1970. There is nothing new. There mm-hmm. really is nothing new. Um, so I, I would love to get out of it. Um, I think uh, that, that same scenario has been in my head. Uh, but I just had to kind of plan the the here and now and the five and 10 and 15 and so on many years from now, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. because I can see that finish line of needing that, that nine to five and I can almost taste it. So that's been my motivation as far as, okay, you just got to stick with this for four more years. <laughs> but in the well, meantime, cool. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's very cool that you have a plan like that. Um, and and you know four more years from now I want to I want to check you out and see if you manage to pull it off because that mm-hmm. that's a pretty laudable endeavor in a very short amount of time um, and and I'm not going to ask you how you plan on doing it because plans evolve but but for you I mean to think that in four more years okay I'll pay off my house I'll pay off my car um, I'll uh, whatever you're going to do. Man, I mean that that sounds like a dream come true. And is that what is that one of the thoughts that sustains you? Uh, yeah, my cat is just meowing into my mic. But sorry about that. But uh, yes, um, I know for the longest uh, it was in my head, especially when I was uh, still living in an apartment, that um, I don't want to be paying rent forever, and I eventually want to break down and just be freelance, just do my own thing and freelance work, but. We have dry spells, and oh, yeah. if you're paying rent, rent is still due when you have a dry spell. So mm-hmm. that's what motivated me to just go ahead and pull the trigger on finding a house and just getting it and just knocking it out. So it's definitely been that driving force to go ahead and lock down your car, lock down your place to stay, lock down the equipment that you need. In the meantime, still put your work out there and still slowly garner that crowd and get that attention so that when you finally hit that finish line and hit the start line for your next level, you can really just haul butt as being an artist. So it's, that's, that's definitely the big motivator right now. 
Well, that's kind of cool. And and you mentioned, you know, you sold out your books at a convention. Mm-hmm. Do you go to a number of conventions or are, do you, you know, do you go to conventions that are closer to your area? Um, what's your what's your convention strategy? Right now, up until the end of this year, I had to go where I could afford. So I stayed here mm-hmm. on the uh, the South and East Coast. Um, the Anime Week in Atlanta, and then I tried um, the uh, what is it? The Black Science Fiction Convention in Atlanta as well, because I have the, a sure. sister that lives in that area, so I could just go crash on her couch and then bring my work over. But yeah. uh, I do want to, now that I'm in a position where I can, uh, start, still stay in the south and the southeast region because it's closer and I can drive to it, but uh, mm-hmm. start hitting more conventions because I'm getting such a a strong reception to my work there that I, sure. I know I need to put my face out there more and put my book out there more. Yes, and, and tell us tell us a little bit about that convention where you sold out. Were were the people who approached you ones that ones who already knew you, or or did you did you drum up new, you know, readers who who were excited about what you were presenting at the convention? What was what was the dichotomy of those people that you dealt with? Oh gosh, if there were twenty in all, I'd say two of them knew me. Everybody else, okay. it was new. Uh, they were drawn to, because I, I managed to print out a really nice poster of Joe on her bike. And they were drawn okay. to it. And they, I gave my elevator pitch to them, and they liked it. And before I knew it, I was running out of books. Uh, and these were the remainder of the Kickstarter books that I had to print and ship out. So I was like, oh, no. So I had to reprint it and then get those out to everybody. And then the second convention, Anime Weekend Atlanta, came around. And I had, I didn't sell out there, but I had an obnoxiously large amount of books, but I went through over half of them, which still spoke volumes to me that um, people were just receptive to how it looked. A lot of people would say that I was drawn to your table because of how your characters look. I was drawn to it for the art style or to whatever character that stood out the most. So, um, oh, wow. The conventions were definitely eye-openers, especially to see complete strangers. You know, their eyes light up whenever I tell them the story, and and I'd hear that comment of, that's something I would read. Which, right. you, know, you know, for me, you know, brain exploding out of left ear. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it, it's, you know, a lot of people don't, don't realize it, but but that kind of feedback is, is is a very strong motivator for creatives because yes. once they know that they're they're actually serving a community or serving a need out there, um, it, it's it's like a validation of self, you know. Yeah, yeah. And, and yeah, um, and then do you have a big convention schedule ahead of you for 2017 for next year? Uh, well, I know I'd like to return to Anime Week in Atlanta. I am still looking at the others. Uh, I had a friend to mention Heroes Con. Uh, there was a convention in Toronto, and I cannot remember the name of it that he mentioned. Uh, there's an animation convention that happens at the end of the year, a CTN Expo, I believe it is, that uh, it's usually in November that I'd like to participate mm-hmm. in. I feel like you know, I want to go to Small Press Expo. Um, I'll try my hand at New York Comic Con. So there's a couple of them that I'm looking at, and I'm going to go ahead and 
send my stuff out and see if they'll let me have a table. Wow. Uh, would you ever come consider coming to uh, C2E2 in Chicago? If you do, I'll buy you lunch. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Just let you know. I definitely would try that too. <laughs> Boy, people do a lot for a free meal. I'm telling you. Um, <laughs> it's food. I'm teasing. I'm teasing. <clears throat> and but it I, has good <laughs> Well, you know, I you know I'm the most fun. Uh, you know, I'm the most fun you can have with your clothes on. I mean, I'm I'm very entertaining. I well, no, I used to have that on my business cards, but people took it the wrong way. Um, oh no! So Chicago's got a huge creative community, and we've got a, more than a few people from uh, BlackScienceFictionSociety.com living here. Okay. Um, I I've met people here. I met uh, Rod Van Blake. He was here with his mother for a little while, and you know, I've run into a number of people here. Um, I was at uh, WorldCon, well, Mid Americon, in Kansas City in August, I met people who I interviewed, but I had never met in real life. Oh, wow. Uh, that, was, that was pretty cool, too. And uh, let's see, so far, I'm off to Boston in February. That's the only one I've got on my schedule so far. Uh, that's the Boscone Convention, um, and I'll be moderating forums there and, and just generally trying to be uh, get noticed, because that's my that's my hurdle. I, I need to get more people to know who I am. Um, and in, in a certain amount of uh, way, um, this is a personality-driven business. You know, for people to want to, to become interested in you, you kind of have to show them that you're an interesting person. That is the most <laughs> and, intimidating thing right there. Yeah, it is. You know, I'm I'm older now, so I can't just run around, you know, naked or anything like that. You know, I have to actually have some personality. Um, well, it's true. But I, I guess I do all right. But you're right about the intimidation factor. Um, nobody who listens to this show would ever believe that I'm shy at all. But in, in a lot of ways, I am. And, and having to think about selling myself like at a table mm-hmm. or whatever, that that to me is a little bit harder than just moderating forums because that uses kind of like the same skill set that, uh, that I use to do this show. Um, and that's not that hard. But you're right. Selling yourself out there, especially when you're selling your, your, your creative arts, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, the comic or for me the books or, or you know, whether it is art or whatever, um, mm-hmm. that's different because people are judging you as you and and your work, and sometimes you don't get the validation that you would like to have, and that's a tough thing. That's a tough yeah. thing. There's a lot of people who won't persist. There's a lot of people who will give up if they can't, you know, if they don't feel comfortable selling themselves, <clears throat> excuse me, or, you know, and, and then try to and, and try to have to do that. That's a tough thing to learn. It's a tough thing to, to kind of get over. And And for you as a very shy person, how was it that you overcame your natural shyness, your innate shyness, in order to do to go out there and sit at that table and sell your work and sell yourself and you know what what was it what was the mechanism that allowed you to do that? I think it it really was Cazoros. Um when I started to just talk about the comic because it's something that I am passionate about, something I'm sure. very interested in. 
I, it, it took a couple of shots to try and describe it in a way that was not lengthy, but uh, would be, I guess, catchy enough without, you know, trying to, I guess, overkill it. But once right. I figured out how to do that elevator, elevator pitch about something I really cared about, um, I could talk. Mm-hmm. You know, it was in interviews. I'm, I'm still a bit of a mess, but uh, as far as just you've walked up to my table and want to know what all this is about, I could speak about it. I could let you know, hey, there's this whole, you know, whole new world on this table that I've just created. It's about this and it's this, so you're interested. And I think that's what what really helped me was to talk about something that I was passionate about, especially at that point when I realized that so many people were receptive to it and there's a possibility that I can get one more interested in the story. Mm-hmm. Well, so, I mean, it's basically a deflection. You know, you, you deflect the attention strictly to your work. Yes. And then, <laughs> you know, if well, no, I mean, if you're passionate about it and, and you're articulate and you don't sit there and you, give them a narration, you know, the cliff notes of what your first book is, but you talk about what what made it important to you, you know, that sort of thing. It it appears that that's the sort of the sort of sales personality that that you can pull out even if you're a very shy person. Um so now now that you've done it a few times, do you mm-hmm. feel a lot more confident? Do you feel a lot more you know, do you feel a lot more facile at putting yourself out there? I will openly openly admit I'm still jittery. Uh, the okay. Black Science Fiction Convention came before Anime Week in Atlanta. So I was sure. a little bit more confident with the first one because I knew it was catered towards black science fiction. So I felt mm-hmm. like, okay, I'll get a couple of nibbles in this one, and then it sold out, and I was mind-blown for a month. Uh, anime weekend rolled around, which meant the mass majority of the audience will be white. They'll be Hispanic. Yeah. They'll be Asian. So that one was a lot more intimidating for the beginning. And then I started to get that same reaction again, talking about this story. And so I was able to jump that jittery hurdle and get back into just talking about the story. Mm-hmm. So I feel like with the next couple of conventions, I might have that you know initial shock of, okay, now you got to draw them in, but um, it won't take long to get past that and just tell them the story. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, basically, you said you had you had a poster, and you had the books, mm-hmm. and you you had your elevator pitch. And, mm-hmm. and obviously, you had enough success with that that you managed to uh, to, to sell out. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> is, is there is there any lesson that you can take away that you could tell you know our listeners about that you know that kind of encompassed the whole thing? Yes, you can deflect by just talking about the work, and if you're excited about your work, you, that will probably translate to other people, but. But what are some of the other kind of observations or the the other aspects to having to be your you know you're you're the one person sales force? Well, uh, your display needs to be really prominent. Uh, yeah. One of the things I've always noticed about the artist alley, uh, or I guess yeah, artist alley, is that a lot of people would just 
douse it with many, many small pictures of fan art and everything. So it's so overwhelming that a lot of people have commented that they just, it was too much to look at. So they right. keep walking. So yeah. my table was purely focused on Catharos. It wasn't a bazillion mm-hmm. small images. There was a banner behind me. There was a big illustration on the table and then a tablecloth that had an illustration. Um, having something that was free to give but didn't feel like it was a dinky freebie. So for me, I printed out these long postcards that had an illustration on it. So they felt like they sure. got a print. And it had yeah. all the information as far as where to find it, what's it called, and you know how to get there. So mm-hmm. between that and just catching them with a a pitch of the story that doesn't eat up a lot of their time. Uh, that did it for me. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, one of the things that I found out was, um, uh, this was a while ago, mm-hmm. but <clears throat> the minimum that, that a creative should carry with them is a business card and a business card that's got your contact information and a little mm-hmm. bit about who you are or what you have going on. Because if somebody comes home from a convention and has, you know, 130 business cards, you know, you have to think in terms of what is going to make yours stand out so that they remember mm-hmm. who you were and what you had to offer. And and so, you know, to, to be creative and not have a business card that at least ex- explains what, what your area of creativity is or if you're a writer or a comic book creator, what was your stuff? You know, and I just did the air quotes around the word stuff. Um, seems seems like a minimum thing that everybody should do. Um, you you had the the postcard, which is great. I I have a handout that you know I don't I don't do table work, but I do do uh, panel discussions and forums. Mm-hmm. So I can hand out I can hand out a flyer, and I think it's very important for for creatives to realize two things. First of all, if you are you know unless you have a publisher doing all the work for you, you're an entrepreneur. You're the business yeah. person. You're you're the whole thing, mm-hmm. and you definitely want to leave behind a good impression when when people talk to you or stop by. Even if they don't say anything, hand them something about you and just say, "Here, take this with you. Read it later." Mm-hmm. Um, and and so now, when you go to these things, do you go alone. By the way, do you go to yeah. these conventions alone? Yeah. Yep, it's just me. So you have to do the full setup, you have to get everything yep. ready, you have to break it down, and, and I, I'm assuming that now that you've done it a few times, you've got it down to a science? For the most part. <laughs> uh, the uh, cart that I used to carry, everything broke, so i got to replace it, but uh, for the most part, I've got it down to a, a decent uh, level. <laughs> well, that's not bad. <clears throat> and so, you know, people pay attention. You know, this is this is what you have to do when you have to when when you create your own work and then have to go out and sell it, mm-hmm. um, if you were going to tell people what the best possible aspect of you having put all of this together is, um, what what would you say it is? Oh being wow! A, a, a creator being you know doing the comic book, going to the conventions, dealing with people in social media. What what for you is like the most rewarding or the most fun or the best part of being this entrepreneur? It's neck and neck between the learning process and seeing the reaction to what I've learned. Okay. 
Um, sort of like when I realized that, okay, everything's going online, that you're going to have to go online, and I made that first phone call, and they're, and they're like, yeah, we can build you a website, but it's going to be this obnoxiously large <clears> amount <throat> of money. I decided, okay, I need to figure this out. So I went to Ask Jeeves, this is before Google, and um, figured out how to see code and how to understand it and how to build my own site. So from building my own site to learning Photoshop to discovering Manga Studio to figuring out how can I really paint a nice background and how can I create this image and so on and so forth, the learning process has always been very exciting for me. And then on the end of that, that I guess, that race, when I get it into someone's hands and they're excited about it and they love how it looks and it looks so professional. First time somebody told me that, I was just giddy for a long time. Wow, my stuff looks professional. <laughs> but um, I think it's both of those, just the work and then the reaction. Um, I, I think both of those are, are for me. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, <clears throat> you've got the satisfaction of learning. You know, well, no, you have the, the you have the excitement of discovery, mm-hmm. then you have the satisfaction of learning, and then you you know you've got the kind of like the well, there's got to be some satisfaction in mastery, you know, because yeah. learning is one part, mastery is the other. So the whole the whole thing, the whole process, um, if it's successfully carried out, I guess is is very very satisfying. I mean, it is for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we're we're down to about a couple minutes left. Um, we haven't heard from Jarvis for a long time. I'm hoping he's going to call in so he can say goodbye to the folks. Uh oh. Yeah, that's me. That's me alerting him. No, no, no. And, but um, you know, I I do want to thank you for coming on. You know, again, apologies for last week's uh, technical difficulties, but it was it was so much better that we got to hear you for the full amount of time, and and you. You know, you really put some great stuff out there, and you made my job very, very easy. So uh, I want no, I'm serious. I, I want to thank you. There are there are some times where it's not easy. You know, like when somebody gives me one word responses to my question. Oh and wow! So far, yeah, so far we don't have the technology where I could reach through my phone, grab them by the throat, and <laughs> throttle them. Um, but hopefully that's coming. I'm hoping that that's coming. But anyway, if if Jarvis doesn't call in, I want to thank everybody for uh, for all of their support for the show, especially those who listen to it live. That's always fun to watch what goes on in the chat room. I also want to thank those of you who support the BlackScienceFictionSociety.com website um, and, and visit often, who post up uh, post up uh, videos, pictures, all of their work. Let us know what's going on, and I especially like the people like you should do, Beverly who post up their appearances, where they may be going, where they may be showing up, where they may be doing uh, an event on the event's calendar, because that way if somebody in your neighborhood is looking on the calendar and says, oh, look, Beverly's going to be over here. Let me go see her at this show. Um, that's that's always a positive. And, and seriously, if you do come up to C2E2, I will take you to, to lunch. Okay. Um, <laughs> and uh, I can't remember if I'm forgetting anything, but it looks like Jarvis is actually going to show up here in a second. Um, you there, Jarvis? I have arrived. Yay! <laughs> hey, how y'all doing? All right, and you? Fantastic. Um, 
you guys have really been chatting it up, and I've learned a lot of great stuff today. And it's good to finally hear your voice. <laughs> After well, I'm many learning a lot, too, so this has been online. pretty good. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, most definitely. It's a, a give-and-take thing always. Um, thanks, William, for doing a great job of making everything entertaining, as always. Um, I want to thank everybody for uh, participating, whether you are tuned in or whether you shared this online with other people. And I just want to um, thank Beverly for coming on. You're a really wonderful person, and I finally got you on here, and I'm happy we finally got you going. And I apologize again for the mishap last week. It is is perfectly fine. I appreciate this opportunity. Uh, This website has definitely been a huge help. I I just regret (laughs) it took me so long after I was introduced to it to finally start participating. (laughs) It's all right. But we're certainly glad that you did. Well, on that note, I want to thank everybody who not only listens live but picks this up as a podcast. And uh, Jarvis, thank you for all you do. I mean, if you hadn't done what you did, many, many, how many years has it been now for BSFS? Oh, this year in, uh, I think that first week of March will be nine years. Ooh, wow. Nine years. Yeah. yeah, and think about how many other sites have come and gone you know, that are black-themed sci-fi, fantasy, and horror sites that have come and gone in the last nine years, and BSFS is still going strong. I also yeah. want to thank but, you for letting me do the show, you know. Um, <laughs> as I said, well, I'm serious, man, you know. I'm I'm home, you know. i got to be in when the, the, the street lights come on until this ankle bracelet comes off, and, and this is a great <laughs> opportunity for me to do something. So So thank you very much. And oh, uh, as far as far as um, uh, how this show works, we're going to be back next week with a brand new uh, guest. And thank everybody. I want to thank everybody for supporting this show. Um, I enjoy doing it. I get to meet people who I've never met before and get to find out people who I wouldn't have met had I not discovered BlackScienceFictionSociety.com. So oh, thanks to all of, all of the things that make that happen. And uh, if you will hold on, Beverly, after we end the show, in case anybody in the chat room has any last-second uh, questions for you, we'll, we'll okay. cover those. But okay. uh, Jarvis, thanks again, man. And uh, mm-hmm. everybody, have a great, for those of you listening live, have a great weekend. Those of you pick it up soon, hope you have a great weekend. And Happy New Year, everybody. 2017 is going to be very, very interesting. And I think that's that's from the Chinese curse, may you live in interesting times. Um, Mm. We're definitely going to have those next year. So everybody have a great evening. Have a great great year ahead. And uh, thank you for listening. Thanks, everybody. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.